y'all. Whether you're ready or not, it's time for Rolling Dice and Taking Names. In this episode, you'll hear about Imperial Steam and the highly anticipated game Brian Boru from designer Pierre Sylvester. Plus, whether you're ready for it or not, there is another taste test. So let's get in the holiday spirit with Mountain Dew Gingerbread Snapped. I, I don't think they're ready, Marty. Hello and welcome to another episode of Rolling Dice and Taking Names. This is episode 245, named Turning Tables. My name is Marty. I'm Tony. Say this is by Adele. Is this an older Adele song? Is this off her new album? I have no idea. I was just looking for something that would kind of sort of match the what we're going to be talking about. And I haven't picked an Adele song. Maybe I should have picked Hello or Hello. But I, I was just like, okay, turning tables. I, I see how this can fit in. Well, I'm, we're, we're going to be talking about trains. We're going to be talking about the change in history in Scotland. So I'm like, there, turn the tables. That's as best I got, man. It's near the end of the year. Don't expect much from me. Have you heard Dell's new song or new album? I mean, the album just came out at the time of this recording. What? It's, uh, geesh. It's only like a few days old from the, this came out. Of course, it's, it's a big deal. You know, when Adele puts out something, it's, it's huge because she hadn't put out something in years and it's all about her, uh, her divorce. Really? Uh-huh. No, I, I did not know that. I ha- don't pay a whole lot of attention to it. I just know that when Adele releases an album, all other artists don't do anything for a while. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's right. It's like, oh, that was going to release the same day as Adele. Call the mm-hmm. record company. Nope. Push it, nope. push it. No need to even put it out there. We're gonna drop a yeah. We're gonna drop a surprise thing here on uh, Spotify. <laughs> oh, we didn't oh, want to drop it that not day. Today, no. Yeah, I tell you, it's one of those things that uh, when I played in a band, we did a few Adele songs. Uh, obviously, people absolutely loved it, and you know, good for her for losing all that weight uh, over the years. That's that's amazing. Uh, the amount of weight she's lost because. It's very, 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 very healthy to probably yes, be the way she has nothing to do with looks. It's strictly as like she's going to lead a much healthier lifestyle now, which is good for her. But did she drop that potty mouth? No, she still has a potty mouth. I did not know she has a potty mouth. Oh, man. There, uh, what was I watching on YouTube one time? Yeah, she was talking about how the censors couldn't keep up with the bleach one time. <laughs> oh, you wouldn't expect that from uh, from her for some reason. I don't know why. No, you you wouldn't. You'd expect that, uh, you know, great British bake-off type mentality of everybody being all, all friendly and stuff. And mm, she's dropping the bombs everywhere. Oh, speaking of great British bake-off, if you watch the show... Episode nine, uh, something happened in that that uh, kind of lit the internet on fire, and I will not spoil what that is. But okay. if you've seen the episode, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And it was uh, Vanessa and I were shocked at the results of episode nine from this current season. And we only have one episode left, and I believe they're going to be coming out with a special Christmas episode, which will be nice. And supposedly, Kim Joy said on her Instagram that she was going to be on it, but the trailer for it from Netflix didn't show her on there. So I guess we'll see. Not that we would dwell into our other side of it, because now you said you make homemade cinnamon rolls at Christmas every year. And maybe not every year, but yes, typically I do. Like, well, I'll probably do it this year just because I don't think I did it last year for some reason. Okay. Because I tried them and they were delicious. Mm-hmm. Mine, not your recipe. So I need your recipe. Okay. Uh, Google search best tasting cinnamon <laughs> rolls. 
<laughs> That's all it is to oh. it. Well, why, I mean, somebody else's recipe is going to be way better than what mine is. Oh, my heavens. Do you proof them? Do you put them? No. I mean, do you do all that stuff? Okay. Get a little, get right. a little bag of yeast and throw it in there and proof it and punch it and all that good stuff. So... Yeah, yeah, yeah. We just finished a homemade pizza, uh, which is good. We've gotten to the point where we like making homemade pizza with homemade dough and everything much better, much, much better than than buying it. It's more fun to make that way, too. You got me, ta- you know, wanting to taste all this stuff. Should we go ahead with our taste bud segment? Yeah, let's do it. Uh, new segment. It's not a new segment. It's a, something not we've been doing segment. for a while is where we do taste tests of Mountain Dew flavors. And a person suggested on Twitter, hey. Why don't you call this Taste Buds? And I thought, that's really clever. The problem is, at the time of this recording, I I don't have a little bumper for it. So hopefully by the time you hear this, I will have found one. And here it is. Taste Buds. Taste Buds. Taste Buds. What are we going to be drinking here tonight, Tony? We are going down the Mountain Dew Gingerbread Snapped version. This is Dew with a Blast of Artificial Gingerbread Flavor. I have very low expectations of this. Yeah, we said this in the last episode. Same here. Um, I'm not a... You know, I enjoy... I, can, I shouldn't say I don't like gingerbread. Have you ever had the... Um, they come in the bag cookies. They, they're the Otis, not Otis Spunkmeyer. Otis Spunkmeyer is good too. But the, the Petridge Farms cookies, they're in the bag in the middle. They're, they're, they're more than the cheap cookies. They're the expensive cookies. Aren't most cookies in bags? Well, I consider them in the plastic tray, oh, not really got in it. bags. I may have had them. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a big gingerbread cookie fan. I, I enjoy the, the gingerbread molasses. That's mm. always good with the white icing. That's always good. So maybe. Maybe this will not disappoint me and I'll have that taste. As long as there's no raisin taste in this. Just, oh my gosh. There's chunks of raisins in it. <laughs> that would be hilarious. It's oh. usually molasses in raisins, but anyway. Yeah, that's true. I was going to say, uh, I don't, you don't see many gingerbread with uh, raisins in it. but All right, and this is 160. It's late, so we got to be careful here on our calorie count. I don't know. All right, you ready? All right, here we go. Three, mm-hmm. two, one. Oh, yeah. All right. Mm-mm. Mm, okay. I don't right. smell. I do. You smell the ginger? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I do. All right. All right. Here we go. Here we go. Ready? Okay. I'm done. No. No. I knew it. Oh, no. Mm. Mm. Y'all, I mean, literally, it's a ginger-flavored soft drink. So a lot of people are like, well, wait a minute, Marty. I like ginger ale. So that's, that's, not, that's not a fair. Not, that's not fair. That's, it's not, not it. that's not it. It's a, gi- it's, it's a gingerbread cookie drink. That's what it is. That's it, because there's a gingerbread cookie on it. Yeah, let me give this a second second flavor. Taste, taste it. I'm going to be fair. I'm going to be fair here. Nope. Nope. All right. Nope. It is, it is what I feared. And again, like I said before this, I'm not a big a gingerbread cookie fan. I will not. Mm-mm. If you like gingerbread cookies, you may like this. Uh, it's it's not it's not overpowering. It's not for me. I, I will say this: we have Tony another uh, Mountain Dew zero sugar flavor that we're going to be trying. I'm wish I was trying that right now, but we'll wait till next episode to do that one. Okay. Well, what? Is, that's not the one I gave you. Is it, it is? Have we had that one? That's Pepsi. That's Pepsi. Oh, that's a Pepsi. Uh, it's 
Yeah, no, no, you're right. No, you're right. It's Pepsi. Beer. Yes, yes. It is Pepsi. a Pepsi Zero Sugar Mango. Is that right? Yeah. Oh, but you've already had it. Oh, I've had it a long time. Okay, I, I have oh. not tried it, so it'll be a taste test uh, just for me. So, I'm I'm going to push that off to the side, and uh, when our commercial spot is Ooh. running, I'm going to have to go and uh, get a just a regular Pepsi Zero Sugar because. Nope, they can't all be good. No, they can't. It's not well. Not every game's good, so not every Mountain Dew is good. Hit or miss. I smell a segue coming on. What's next? We played a little short game. That's a game that we actually enjoyed. It's uh, from a company uh, named Solus S O L I S Game Studio, who sent us a little uh, game called Pocket Paragons. Uh, which is a type of game that he has, and he has different ones based on different themes. This one's called Origins, and it's a little head-to-head card game uh, where each of you take a character, and in typical form, you're trying to beat the mess out of each other till you have no HP left, you have no life left, and then that person who, who got knocked you down will win the game. And it's a clever little game that probably takes... I don't know, maybe what, five to 10 minutes to resolve. And typically you play the best out of three. And Mm -hmm. then the box that we got, there are six characters. So each of you have three characters a piece. And when your character dies, you bring, bring in a new character to play and you keep going till all of one person's characters are dead. And then that other person uh, wins the game. Ooh. Ooh. Mountain Dew ginger rebirth. Ooh. Mm. Mm -mm. Ooh. Mm. Oh, that, sorry, I interrupted no, you. With no, that. That, My that, bad. That's all right. That's all right. Uh, so you have a hand of seven unique cards, and uh, on your turn, you're going to take one of those cards, and both of you are going to play a card simultaneously face down. You're going to flip it up and resolve it, and it's one of those things that's almost like uh, uh, unmatched. I mentioned unmatched when you go into mm-hmm. a battle and somebody plays an attack card, somebody play, playing a d- defense card. Well. Here, it's not exactly that, but the, the, the action is the same. You both reveal a card and resolve it. And if I happen to play a particular type of card that counters the card that you play, I cancel your card. Uh, there could be values on the card that dictate how much damage the other person takes. But what's unique about it is the text that's on the card. Every character has unique style of gameplay, which is reflected in the text of the cards that you play. I call it rock, paper, scissors. Uh, I guess kind of with the countering, maybe countering, uh, mm-hmm. but there was, like I said, everybody has a, a, the seven unique cards. They all have the same type of icons dictating the types of cards in it. Like ones with the fist, ones with the shield for blocking. Uh, there's a rest card that you play. So you may wonder, wait a minute, what happens when you run out of cards at any time you can play the rest card in order to get cards, uh, back into your hand. And you also can generate an energy when you do that because you also have a unique ability that when you have enough energy stored up to activate it, you could put it into your hand. Some of them, like I say, hey, once you have two energy, spend that, take this unique ability, put it into your hand, and then it's a powerful ability unique to that character that can be used. And once it's used, it's back on the table till you can recharge it. So it has the concept of recharge. So as you're playing, you can... At any time, pull cards back into your hand. But Tony, you got to be careful doing that. Yep. You can be executed. Mm-hmm. You can slap you down if you're resting and you throw the execute card on me. That's it. Game over. Let's go to the next game. And yeah. That's, that's what happened in ours. I mean, it's pretty easy. There's your strategy of this game is when to ex- execute huh, the rest card. How to do that and outthink the other person. 
you're sitting there, you're counting cards. You're trying to say, okay, he's played this symbol, this symbol, this symbol. So I know he's got these symbols left Yep. because that's what it is. And I can figure out the counter from there if I'm paying attention. Mm-hmm. I really, I enjoyed that part of the game of the, of the risk that you may have when you play the rest and you suddenly play the card that lets you execute me because I'm resting. Yep. And like I said, uh, basically over the course of combat, if you want your damage zero, damage counter gets to zero, that character is killed. Now, what's interesting is when you play the best of three, you can take one of the cards that was in that character's deck and move it to the next character's deck that you're going to be picking up and playing. So that has a little bit of deck building to it. You may take a card that you think is going to work well with the next character that's going to come into play, merge it to that deck, and then you have an extra ability that you can use when that character is now in play. So I, I kind of like that. It's not like that character's done, pick up the new one. You can kind to chain the characters together and maybe find a unique card to pass between the different characters to maybe trigger special effects between them. Yeah, and the, and the superpowers. Now you can't carry the superpower forward, if I remember correctly. Correct. Yeah, you can't. That's the one you can't carry over, but any of the others that you can. So yeah, it's it's really cool. I mean, it's uh, what's clever is, is like I said, he has all these different styles or, or different themes. He has five different theme decks. One called Pocket Paragons, Rivals of Aether, or Aether, Origins, Aegis, A-E-G-I-S, and Temporal Odyssey. And I believe some of these are actually themed off Gosh, different IPs? Yeah, some of these may be off different IPs. I think Aegis, A-E-G-I-S is. But anyway, so he's got these characters from these different worlds coming in and and being able to play. And like a real small box. Uh, It's a a nice box with nice little card dividers and everything. And uh, so, I don't know. It's fun. It's a fun little... He has three to 15 minutes listed for the playtime. 100% true. You could play a best of three... 15 minutes, you're done. So it's a little filler. And that's Tony, that's what you and I did. We played a little filler game, waiting on Mark to get there because he was taking his sweet time getting mm-hmm. there so we could play our next game that night. And we just filled in that gap with Pocket Paragons. But that's not the only thing that we played. What's next? I don't know. You tell me. Exactly. <laughs> I tried to use it at the beginning and you went into Pocket Paragons and I was just... So now I'm going to set it back up. What's next? That's what's next. <laughs> What's next? What's next from Big Potato Games? And this is an adventure. How do I couch this, Marty? It's an adventure role, not a role playing game. It's it's an. It's one of those almost like a choose your own adventure. Choose your adventure. There you go. uh, Yeah, yeah. Choose your own adventure where you're flipping pages and and oh, if you do this, go to this page. If you do this, go to that page. Mm -hmm. And there are three scenarios in the box. Uh, Amazing production from Big Potato as always. And when we first started out. I could see the skepticism on Marty's side. Oh, I had skepticism. 100% agree. Because Tony was like, oh, look, we're going to play this little narrative story game. And I did. I rolled my eyes. It's like, all right. I mean, how many of these are out there that we're going to do now? I mean, because uh, who is it? Z-Man Games has their, I think it's actually called Choose Your Own Adventure or something mm-hmm. like that. They have a line of these. So, And uh, so, I don't know. That's like, yeah, we looked at our watch. Mark's still not here. So, pull it out. Let's see how it... Uh, it plays. Uh, let me tell you, after playing the game, I went from skeptical to, nah, this is good. I, I really enjoyed this, man. And I think it came down to the fact that we were laughing. We were having a good time with it. Yes. Because without spoiling the story, other than koalas, that's all I'm going <laughs> to say about that. 
(laughs) Kudos to whoever wrote the story. I was busting out laughing. It was funny, y'all. It was, it wasn't one of these, uh, you know, deep, dark, gritty dungeon crawling type thing. It was a light, fun adventure that I just thought was hilarious. And even the artwork on the cards were, were, was hilarious and some of the details that they had on that and some of the outcomes we were not expecting. You know, some of the casual, uh, the, the was it, but a geek all-stars, Dan, the tropes, you know, the, all the tropes are in there. But, you know, it was funny how that turned on it. But basically for this game, when you're playing, uh, there's three, like I said, there's three adventures in it and we played the very first one. And when you're playing that, you are reading a card and you will either have to do an event or choose your next location to go to. If you do an event, it may include something like pulling shapes out of a bag to try to find the correct one in under a certain amount of time. Blindly, by the way. Blindly. Yeah, you can't see them. You're not supposed to see them. You can sit in there, fill in the bag and try to find it. That's fine. If you get the wrong shape, it goes back in the bag. Or maybe you'll be doing something as um, trying to build a shape out of various puzzle pieces you have. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, like say you're having to put together uh, a square box and all you've got are a bunch of triangles and you got to put them right together. So y'all understand what you're doing. You're trying to match that shape in a certain amount of time, Mm -hmm. or you might be doing a flicking challenge, flick the puck (laughs) where you might have a little dexterity sort of challenges. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like maybe you got to get it into a certain range. They have a target area. You got to do that or better yet. You place a card at the end of the table and you got to hit that card with the puck puck and you have you know three practice rounds declare when you're ready to go and then go don't say oh that was it that's cheating (laughs) i don't know i don't know why you're using that as an example i'm not saying you did it i'm just saying (laughs) so there's all these little challenges in there one of my favorite that marty had to do was flip it and catch the puck on the back of your hand Uh, okay this is was, a little cool. Uh, this is a little. Uh, it's a little. Is it plastic or acrylic? Mm-hmm. It's, it's. I think it's like an, a little acrylic thing. That sucker bounces off the back of a hand, y'all. That that thing is not cushiony. So, I mean, I did it. I did it, mm-hmm. but it was one of those things that literally, you know, I flicked it and then tried to bring my hand down with it as it was landing on my hand so it wouldn't bounce. And I actually pulled it off. And you said, well, that's not too bad. I said, oh, it wasn't that hard. And then I couldn't, and then just for fun, <laughs> I was going to show Tony I could do it again. I couldn't do it again after that. So I got lucky. Chasing, we were chasing that puck all over the restaurant. So it was, but, and, but what happens if you don't? Achieve your event. Then there is a, what's the timer? How do you know that the story is coming to the end, that you failed the story? There's the Temple of Doom where you are stacking rocks on top of one another and they have to stay upright while you're playing. If it ever falls over, then the game ends at that point. And these are not simple little square blocks. They are irregular shapes and that you have to stack them up. Only two form the base as you put them up, and then you have to stack on top of that. And it doesn't matter. Oh, I bumped the table and fell over. That doesn't count. Yeah, it does. It does. Yeah. And those, like you said, those are very irregularly shaped objects. And you could pick through whichever ones you want to start you know, with. So we try to pick the biggest ones for the base. But then you have these odd angles where they meet, and then you try to find another one that can correctly fit that odd angle between the two, the joint between the two, so that it provides a nice platform for the next one in case we have to put on it. So failing challenges is bad because you'd have to put those, 
uh, little blocks up there. You have a big stack of story cards and basically you just read the narrative. And at the bottom it says, hey, do you want to go to card such and you want to do this? Then go to card such and such. If you want to do this, go to card such and such. Or it may say, oh, well, at this point you're going to take an event. And the event deck is where you drew maybe the type of puzzle that you'd have to solve or challenge you'd have to go through in order to get through that uh, event card. And then you go back to the story card and it will say, did you pass or fail? And then it resolves from there. There's also a timer from the standpoint of like on the one we were doing, it was the sunrise, middle of the day, sunset and the night. And depending on when it was, we didn't encounter any of these cards could make the challenge more difficult. And you might get items. You might capture some items that will help you achieve certain challenges or discard a peril if you were to take the peril. Once again, like Marty, I was sitting there thinking, okay, this is this this looks like interesting, but how hard can this be? It wasn't hard. It was fun. There's a difference. It was fun. Okay. And to be honest, uh, Mark got there and was like, okay, I'm ready to play. <laughs> I, I was Tony at that, that point is like, no, I want to see how this story ends because it was a crazy, insane story. And I wanted to see where it would go. So Mark was sitting at another table eating his supper, just looking at us. It. Just like, dude, we'll be done in a second. Just calm down, man. And uh, really, and, but we got through it, and the story was great. I was laughing. The only downside is that you can replay these in that you can reset the deck and play again. But once you know the story, maybe you can find a different path to maybe uh, do it differently or see how, what other paths happen, but you kind of know what happens in the end. So mm -hmm. the replayability on this is low in the fact that there's only three stories that you play through, but this is one of those that you just pass off to somebody else and let them enjoy it. Like I said, it's not destructive, uh, you can easily reset everything, hand it off to somebody else, and let them play. And I just had a blast. So in the story we played, they even have things. Okay, if you did well here, see if you can achieve these objectives while you're playing. Mm -hmm. And once again, it all comes to stacking on the Temple of Peril. The And if if you suddenly are can't catch a coin on the back of your hand or you flick something way across the table, you're in you're in bad shape, but that is, yeah. I, I just one more thing before you wrap it up. I, I will say one of the things that I got so tickled at is in any of these choose your adventure <laughs> games, it's like, you want items. You just find stuff. It's that like, well, if, of, of course I want to take this. So we get all the way to the end of the story <laughs> and they ask, did you by chance take this item? It's like, well, yes, we did. It's like, oh, you shouldn't have done that. <laughs> what were you dying. thinking? <laughs> I was like, it was, God, it was good. It was uh, bravo. Whoever wrote the story and everything, bravo. I had a great time. Uh, with that game from Big Potato. My inbox is getting junked up with all kinds of stuff, updates. Are you sure you don't want to come over here and back this? And that is from Modifius, who is producing the Skyrim board game. And y'all have heard me talk about Skyrim on the show, how I kept playing it, and now I'm doing Ascension Creed, and I can't ever get past I was really, really jonesing for this game. I was like, I, oh man, I can't wait until I saw the price point. And then I was like, I don't think so. But I signed up for announcements and I signed up for getting notified. I think they are notifying me, Marty, every day. We are up to 35 announcements or updates as to what's going on. This thing is almost up to 1 billion pounds. No, 1 million pounds. I was going to say, dang, dang, no, 1 million pounds. And he's got all these models. It looks gorgeous. 
like others, I'm kind of curious how, where's the replayability in this? Mm -hmm. I know I could back for 200, 189 US dollars, not including shipping. And I would get all the expansions and all that. But stop sending me updates. I need to unsubscribe. Yeah. I don't get this many updates from the Kickstarters I backed and I'm still waiting on. You have in the, in the show notes, is that too much? 35 yeah. up. That's for a person who hasn't backed. Yes. That is just, just bothering you over and over. You sure you want to back? You sure you want to back? I mean, once I've backed, I don't mind updates. It's like, hey, thank you for backing. Guess what? This just unlocked. Congrats. You, this is now part of your pledge sort of deal. It's like, okay, awesome. That's good updates. But yeah, I mean, at least you do have the option to opt out if you want to. So it's not like you have to get all those updates. Well, let me ask you this. If you're not really interested in the game, then why have you kept the updates on? Because I'm lazy and I haven't clicked over there to go see them because they will come in and it's easier for me to click delete, delete, delete. As opposed to the link at the bottom that says unsubscribe, unsubscribe. You know, I don't know how you do it. I'd have to check on GameFound. Well, hopefully the update emails would have a link at the bottom. If you want to unsubscribe to this, click here. So I am curious at how well it's doing just out of curiosity. Mm -hmm. So let's say you are updating me every once a week or every three days or something. Just... I can see that. But I mean, this thing just, I mean, just launched not long ago and I've got 35 updates. And so you're right. I should have backed out of it if I'm not going to back it. Not backed out of it because I'm not going to back it. Anyway, it may, but at least it's not as bad as some of the ones I've backed where I've got no updates. Yep. None. And it's just like, come on. There, there's a happy medium here somewhere. Maybe it's not the same for everybody, but you got to hit that happy medium somewhere. It's got to be there. Here's the thing. I was somewhat interested in it because of the theme, even though I figured there wasn't going to be much unique in this game compared to other adventure style games. I was interested until uh, earlier this year, Chip Theory Games announced they were working with Bethesda to create their own Elder Scrolls game. And we know we know Chip Theory from Too Many Bones and uh, Cloudspire, uh, which Cloudspire I think is just an incredible game. The production they put into their stuff and everything is just phenomenal. So when I heard they're coming out with a game based on uh, Elder Scrolls, I'm like, nope, pump the brakes on the Skyrim. I'm more interested in what Chip Theory does with this license because I just trust them. What is it, Modifius? Modifius. Modifius. I mean, they've put their work into it, you know? And I'm like, okay, is this one of those things that I will have time for? Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm looking at the announcements here. Here, oh, look, there's the unsubscribe button right there. At any time, you can unsubscribe from updates about this project. Click. Let's see how this works. Uh, I've done it successfully. Well, look at that. that easy. <laughs> he did it live while recording. See? Wow. That was easy. That was easy. So no more updates from you. Mm -hmm. So now I forget about it. And I'm, okay, sorry. That was a mini rant. I was just kind of curious. I'm, I'm tired of having to hit delete all the time. I mean, I got, Amazon sends me three a day. I don't need one from somebody else. Oh, dude, I am, I am judicious with uh, hitting this unsubscribe button mm -hmm. on uh, marketing. And, you know, as soon as you order something from somebody, Boom, you're on the mailing list. So as soon as I get the first one, scroll down to the bottom, find the unsubscribe link in the smallest font that they can actually put in an email 
and then click it and then go and, and get rid of it because I am the same way as you. I just get sick of it. And speaking of sick of it, I'm sick of the aftertaste I have in my mouth from this Mountain Dew. So can we go run commercials so I can go grab another drink? Absolutely. Dune, House of Secrets. Vienna Connection. Detective. Stronghold Undead. Empires of the North. Imperial Settlers. Nurishima Hex. Monolith Arena. Million Dollar Script. Robinson Crusoe. Dreadful Circus. Why do you give me the ones I have to say an accent to? You don't have to say an accent. You could have just said it normal. <laughs> oh, hold on. Porter. 51st State. Hey, if you can't find a game in this catalog, then you aren't really looking that hard. Head over to portalgamesus.com. Well, we are back from a commercial break and we both got some palate cleansing drinks here. I'm in my McAllister's with some water here. Oh, you're more healthy than I am because I'm popping it on a, a Pepsi Zero Sugar over here. That's all right. I got to get some water in my system. Now I did... Now, I don't know if Vanessa's gotten a chance to, before we get over to the game here, I uh, did take um, the ginger snapped. I don't know if uh, Vanessa was able to get with us or anything if you took it out to her, but Donna's like, eh, it's not bad. So there is the nail in the coffin. When you hear it's, eh, it's not bad. I don't know. Is it? I mean, that's one of those, maybe it is. You know, just like every time we talk about a board game on this show, it's our opinion. We may be the only two out here that would dislike the Mountain Dew, what is it called? Ginger Snapped or whatever mm -hmm. it is. But hey, that's what opinions are for. Speaking of opinions, Tony, this isn't going to be a full opinion uh, on this game, is it? No, this is a first play thoughts. Oh my heavens, this requires <laughs> us to take a lot more thought in it. Wow. What did we miss? That's a long oh. qualifier. It, well, that's what the game was. It was long. Qualif I mean, it qualified for a great game, but we were like, what the heck? We missed something. That's what I was thinking about. I, I don't think we missed anything. I don't think we missed anything. I think that what it is, is this game, Imperial Steam, which is a brand new game from Alexander Humor and Capstone Games, is one of those games that have a lot of moving parts and lots of decisions that need to be made and lots of actions that you can take that are hard to tell how they work until you actually start doing them. And so in our first game, that's what we did. It's like, let's push every button in this game and see what happens when I push this button and what kind of effect does that have? And I think once we got through this two and a half hour gameplay of this game, we looked back and go, ah, okay. I now know on my turn when I had these 11, y'all, 11, okay, one's passed. So let's just say it's 10. 10 actions to choose from. Yes, 10 that they all make sense and you would know, okay, I now know when best to use this particular action the next time I play. So this isn't going to be a four of you. This is just our thoughts on our game, on learning the game, and some of the unique mechanics about it. So first thing I want to warn everybody is, you better plan 45 minutes of setup time for your first game. 45 minutes? Uh, I, I, mm, that's probably long. I think okay. I did it. I think I did it in 
I did. I did it in thirty. Again, my 30. first time. Now All I right. will say. I okay. will say this. We set it up. There's in the rules. There's a first time play set up, and then there's more randomization. The first time play is easier to set up than the randomization. So mm-hmm. there, when we when we next time we play, if we do the randomized sort of setup, it will take a tad longer. And let's also point out that if you are set it up for three people, and the fourth person says, "Oh, by the way." <laughs> I am coming to game night. That takes a whole nother 20 to 30 minutes. It's not as simple as flipping a few switches. You've got to flip a board. You got to flip these player action boards. You got to set up these new. Oh, my. Oh, my heavens. Yeah. Yeah. So Mark's like, Uh yeah, I think I can make it tonight. And so we had just finished completely setting up everything for three player. Mark sits down. Well, of course, we want him to play. We want to get his thoughts on it. But Tony, like you said, it's not just deal out extra cards. They're like sideboards that have to be pulled off and brought in. There's three player sides of the boards and four player sides. So you had to take everything off every board, flip them to the correct side and reload them up. But but the only thing you didn't have to change were the 11 main action boards. Which had no tokens on it, no meeples on it, no nothing. It was just like, they're okay, there they are. But, you know, so we were going over the gameplay, and then I had to bring Mark up to speed because we had only made it through action number five on the board. Now, we don't want to go too much into the rules because this is not one of those that if we start talking about the rules, really, you will begin to just zone out. But yeah. I will say this. There are eight phases in a round. There are eight rounds in a game. And so in the first round, you immediately jump to the seventh phase. So really the first six are kind of like a cleanup. Would you, would you say that's fair, Marty? Yeah. It's, it's interesting that you did say that, uh, put it that way. The things that happen in the first six have no effect on the game until you've at least played one round. So it does feel like a cleanup, but in subsequent rounds, all that stuff actually happens at the beginning of the round instead. And it's really interesting too, Tony. One thing I did like about this is you have your own player board and your player board contains several things, workers and hands, like little hand wooden tokens. Mm-hmm. In typical worker placement form, you think, oh, I'm going to take a worker and place it out on the board and take an action. You got to kind of break your mind of that. You actually take the hand tokens and put them out to take an action and the workers on your player board are actually used to pay for experience on some of the actions that you'll be taking with those hands so there's two types of things you kind of got a track of on your player side right and, and the, it's that's very important because workers can be trained later if you haven't used them and you're going to need that experience to help you navigate factories that you can build some of the main actions. I mean, let's just go. There's build track. This is a train game. Oh, yeah. Let's really explain what this is. So I believe this is in uh, Austria, right? I don't know. I don't know where it was. I just saw a big board. <laughs> and I saw a bunch of names on the board. And I, there, I knew that I was starting in this one area. And I was going to have to get my trains to other cities. And that's it's, what I remember. It's right in the subtitle, Southern Railways of Austria from 1839 to 1857. So it's a map of Austria. Beautiful production. As always, Capstone just goes to the nines on their production and art. It uh, absolutely looks amazing. So yeah, 
presented with the big board. Tony, you love your train games. Love my trains. And this has a lot of the same uh, ideas of uh, you're starting at one section of a board. You're trying to build tracks to connect to different cities. And the purpose of uh, doing that is probably to take some goods to those cities. Those cities have particular cards on them or big big uh, tokens on them to ex- show, hey, this particular one's I'm looking for coal or I'm looking for this. And if you could get a track to there and have a factory that can generate that coal, you could deliver coal to that location. So there's different things you're trying to track. You're trying to build factories to create goods. Those goods can be used to manufacture track or be able to deliver those goods in order to meet demands of the different areas of Austria. That's a key difference between what most people think on these games is that it's a pick up and deliver. No, when you build those factories, depending on the experience of your worker will dictate, first off, the type of factory dictates the goods and the experience of the worker will dictate how many goods that factory will produce for the, its entire life. Yep. So if, you're, if your worker is experienced one, he's got, he's got this little hut, okay? Let's say that. And, but if he's experienced three, then he's a full tilt bozo machine over there. He's going to get three goods versus the one. And when you deliver goods, you get to take it from, you don't get to deliver all of them. You get to take one and you can deliver it Mm -hmm. to that city that needs the good. And when it's delivered, that city's like, we're good here. We don't need any more of that good. We're, hey, we're happy. Mm-hmm. So in that way, it's kind of a race, right? You are mm-hmm. trying to race to build track and stuff as fast as possible to get to the locations to uh, be able to not only deliver goods, uh, but each location may also say, oh, by the way, this location here, you can build a factory. And once somebody builds a factory on a spot on a board, nobody else can build there. So then it's also a race for looking for locations to build your factories uh, in addition. And Tony, playing a second time, I now realize the extreme importance of factories because also on the board is a market where you can buy your goods such as coal, wood, stone, and ore. I mean iron instead of ore. But yeah, so there's four different types of goods. Well, So there's a market at the bottom of the board, Tony, where one of your actions is go to the market and, and buy goods from down there for a certain amount of money. Well, the thing is... As you buy goods from there, the supply is going to drop. The demand automatically increases because as you buy, there's like columns of actual little wooden bits that you you will pull from the top. That's the cheapest and they get more expensive as you go down. Later in the game, some of those will automatically refill. There's a little refill mechanic that happens in one of those first six rounds. But that stuff gets super expensive and tracks take wood, stone, and iron to be able to build track to even get anywhere. And so Tony, what I found was, you know what? I didn't generate have enough factories running for my company in order to be able to efficiently have the stuff that I need to make the tracks and everything to perform my operations in the game. And I was left having to buy from a very expensive market. And Tony, we found out money's hard to come by in this game. Money is tough in this game. I mean, it comes when you do various deliveries. So you have to balance that. There's a lot of balancing of, do I need the goods to go to the towns that allow me to generate income? But I also need those resources or goods to come into my area or into my shop, into my company so that I can then produce more track. 
and, and you've got all that going on that you've really got to balance it out. And you made it very clear here. There is a very distinct need for all the resources here. Because if you get into, and this was a mistake in our first game here, is the commodity market will dry up very quick and you will be impacted by that. The factories, maybe not so much. So it's very important to get your workers' experience level up in order to be able to produce these goods out of your factory. Now, before I forget this, because it will leave, uh, leave my mind completely, Marty, is one of the things I enjoyed the most about this game was I wasn't having to go out and get additional hands to do actions. There was no nothing that said, hey, you need to produce these goods to get additional hands to go to action. You get them as the rounds progress. I enjoyed that. It's very good. I, I like that part of the game. I'm not having to, I'm not going to get behind you or Mark or Bert or whoever I'm playing with and not have enough actions. We all had equal amount of actions. So there's none of this. Well, if I had just taken this step in order to, and I would have been right up there with you. No, we all had that capability. There was mm -hmm. never a shortcoming there. And I think that's very important in this game that everybody is playing at that same level. And it's also interesting too, uh, there's a whole round tracker at the top of the board and like you said, as you progress in the round, there's like a certain round where, hey, look, congrats, everybody gets an extra hand. Or uh, as you move up the round markers, like I said, there will be goods that will go back down to that commodities market uh, based on the on the rounds, et cetera. But what's also important, too, is the round marker dictates the size of the locomotive that you can get. One of the things you can have on your player board is you can construct locomotives. The bigger the locomotive, the more cars that you can have behind it. Those cars are what can hold the goods that can be delivered and carried and used, etc. But those cars can also be upgraded and flipped over to become passenger cars. And what passenger cars do is generate income during one of those early rounds. It'd be like Tony calls it the cleanup. At the beginning of the round, when you um, have income, you remember I told you how important money was? One of the things was you get money for the number of passenger cars that you have flipped up. So you can only have up to three locomotives. But as you go along in the game, you can get more expensive. More expensive locomotives become available, but they also mean they can have more cars behind them for carrying resources or generating income by upgrading them to passenger cars. And those are so nice to have capabilities because... There's another thing in this game about the, the getting the, the winning condition is having contracts. These contracts will help you achieve money as well. They, but, you, but it reserves some of your cars. So now you've depleted the length of your train by reserving your cars. And, and at the end of the game, these contracts are going to generate income for you. If maybe. they don't, maybe. Now, this, this one did irritate me. <laughs> if you have if you have a contract, it will give you money at the end of the game, provided someone gets to this city at the bottom of the board. If you don't, then the contracts don't count. So I'm like, well, this sucks. But if someone does get to it and you haven't fulfilled your contract, then it's negative points against you. Mm -hmm. So it's in everybody's best interest. If you're going contract bound, then it's in your best interest to make sure that you get to that city at the bottom and you're watching other people. Right. It's actually interesting. And I talked to some other people that play. I talked to Joel Letty from Drive Thru uh, Games, who's also covered this game. And he said that was a very interesting dynamic to where some of the games that he would play, 
people would keep up with the contracts they had. And say, for example, Tony, that you had contracts that maybe it would have generated income that would have been more than my total contracts. And I was the one that was closest to completing that a path all the way to that down to that southern city. I may choose not to because it would not be in my best interest to. Because maybe my contracts are worth 200, but yours are worth 500. So that why would I do that at that point? I'm going to leave the onus on you at that point. Hey, I'll let you take the time and resources if you want to get money out of those suckers. But then I've got to be careful because if I see you doing that, I better have my contracts fulfilled or it could cost me 200. Right. So that's that's a strategy. Which strategy do I want to try to get the most money? That's that's the winning game. That's That's how you win. You have the most money. It's one of those things that you have to evaluate. Am I going to be able to work strictly on contracts. Do I have that? I've got to upgrade trains. I got to do this. And you also got to hire engineers to help you build tunnels. (laughs) Dude, that's a whole nother aspect of the board. The whole influence tracker. There's a whole nother section of the board Mm -hmm. to where you track your influence and depending on cities in the cities, in certain 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 cities. cities and to be able to hire engineers from those cities your influence marker must be at or to the right of where they are on the influence track. So you have to take actions in order to increase your influence that gives you access to these additional workers. And there's different things that happen in the game that may drive your influence token down. And if that's the case, basically you've lost access to the workers in that particular city until you boost up your influence again. Yet another thing of those 10 actions that you need to monitor to make sure that you have everything in place so that if you ever need to go hire that tunnel engineer, that bridge engineer, luckily you only need one of each or just additional workers, then you better have your influence markers in the right spot because workers get more expensive in those cities as they're pulled off that board. So if Tony's already gone there several times and put a lot of workers off and my influence marker is only high enough to pull workers in that particular city, it's going to cost me a fortune. And that's part of the game. Take from the the cheaper side of it and you're hurting the in people who don't have the same amount of influence. Now you can adjust the influence. The influence is adjusted based on the goods being delivered. This is always changing in the board. A lot's going on here. A lot to keep track of. Definitely your first play. It's going to be about understanding the mechanics of this game. You are not, yeah, I mean, I'm sure there are people who will get this in no time. People like me, it's going to take multiple plays for me to really get how this game works. Me too. And I kind of compare it to when I learned how to play uh, coin games earlier this year. And I'm currently playing a game called Nevsky uh, with Ignacy. We're not playing to win. We're playing to understand. Mm-hmm. And with these games... I were doing the same thing I talked about with the Imperial Steam. I was just sometimes taking actions because I wanted to see how it worked, not necessarily because that was the best choice for me to try to win. Because when I play again, I better understand how this particular action works so that I know that, okay, now is the time to take that action because it will benefit my my best chance to win. One thing I did think that was cool, we talked about the, uh, the workers that you have on your board and experience. I kind of like how those work because when you build a track to a city, you have to expend workers of certain value of experience in order to get tracks built there. So if there was a city that was like for experience, 
I would have to exhaust enough of my workers to equal four experience. But what's interesting, Tony, is during those beginning first six, what you call the cleanup, all those workers will level up if they weren't used Mm -hmm. in the previous round. So you may decide, I'm not going to use these workers this round to build a track to a city. I want them to level up. So then instead of spending four level one workers to build a track to this city, I'll level them all up and only need to spend two next round. But am I now behind? That's the question you always get exactly. to ask yourself. Does someone else beat me to this city? Yep. Because, you know, I can go there, but if I go to a city where someone's already there, then I get to pay them money. And once again, you said money was tight. There's train stations. You can only have two links coming out of a city unless you have a train station. <laughs> that's true. So, yep. Yeah. So yeah. that's one thing that you have to uh, consider too. And I mean, so we've talked about a lot of the different things. Uh, and I'm so I'm just going to list y'all without explaining them. Each new individual, I'm going to list you the 10 things, and you'll have heard a lot of things that uh, uh, that we have talked about. So here are the 10 actions that are available. Build tracks, hire, build a building, produce goods, buy or order goods, buy or upgrade a train, secure a contract, philanthropize. What was that one? Was that increase the influence? Oh, that was the one where you could spend 10 to increase your influence. Oh, and Tony, as I'm reading through these, manipulate share value. Guess what? On your board, on your player board, you have values of stock, y'all. And you have investors that's interested in your stock. And you can drive up the value of your stock. And you can have investors that you can uh, borrow money from, basically, in order to get an influx of cash. But Tony, they're going to want their money at the end of the game, right? Mm-hmm. Investors always do. So at the end of the game, for the investors that you borrowed money from, uh, they're going to take some of your earnings at the very end, thus decreasing the amount of total money that you have to win the game. And it's all about having the most money, as it is in most of these train games. Train barons want their money. Yep. And end game scoring, well, let's just say go read the rule book. Yeah, exactly. And, okay, I just missed the, the final 10 uh, was just fundraise. You just need 10 money. You can take the action do that. Now, Tony, we didn't even talk about this. You actually have the 11 actions, including pass, on actual uh, cards beside the board. And you'll take your hand and place it on the action that you want to take. But you got to be careful because if you go and take the same action again, there's a penalty involved. Yes. You have to be careful with that, but you can do it. And no one can block you from taking an action. Right, exactly. It's just one of those things. What it does, it keeps you from, unless you can afford it, to take the same action over and over again. Instead, you're going to distribute uh, your actions among those uh, 10 or 11 uh, throughout the round. A lot going on. Set up the game. Make sure, I mean, it's, I don't want to say it's an easy, it's not an easy teach, But as you walk through this, everybody just take your time, walk through a couple of actions and say, okay, am I doing this right? Because let's be honest, the first time you play this, it's not about winning. It's about, okay, I need to understand the game. And then the next time we play, I will win. Yeah, exactly. Here's the thing. I like Alexander Humor. The uh, game we played by them was Lignum. 
I know that you, <laughs> we always make the joke of, uh, you know, in that game, the axes broke. We made the, or the saws broke. The saws. Yeah, we made the joke that the saws break and you all just, oh, the saws breaking all of a sudden. So we made the joke, well, the trains break, well, the tracks break in this one. Mm. No, there's, there's nothing like that. He is a really clever Euro designer. And if somebody was to ask me, is this a heavy Euro, medium to heavy, I would say, Tony, just because... And you know what's all, let me ask you a question. When something is heavy, do you think, would you say it's heavy because the rules are very complicated or because it's heavy in that there are so many decisions and actions that need to be made during the game that makes it heavy? Does that question yes. make sense? Yeah. It's, is it a lot to slog through in a rule book or is it you're sitting there at the table trying to intricately devise a way to win because of all the strategies and actions you can take. It's the latter for me. Same here. So with that in mind, this leans towards heavy for me because of all that's going on on this board that you got to track. So in this game, what would equate to the saws breaking, I think, is after you've hired your workers and you've leveled them up and you move them into a factory, you've lost them. Mm, that's a good point. It's, and you know what? Thematically, I think it's really interesting too. You build a factory. Well, there's got to be somebody to run that factory. So you got to throw a worker into that factory. And the worker that you throw in there, Tony, you said this a long time ago, is the level of the worker that you throw into that factory determines the amount of goods that it produces. So you want to probably maximize that factory by giving it a level three worker. Well, now you've got to hire another worker and level it up if you want to be able to do that again, because you just lost a very experienced worker. So it's a resource that is no longer available to you to the, for the rest of the game. Right. And those factories, well, what good are those factories? Well, those factories help you fulfill contracts. Mm -hmm. So if you have certain types of uh, factories, then they can go help fulfill contracts that you need at the end of the game. So all that is tied together. It's all right there in front of you. Easy iconography. I always like that when I can look at the board and quickly I d d differentiate the icons and understand what they're meaning. Yeah, again, it's a it's a heavier game, but it's a good game. It is a really, really, really good game. Thematically, everything kind of works. It flows well. It's not one of those clunky games to where I, I don't know. It, once you understood it, the rounds just kind of move along. I like the limited time limit, Tony. Eight rounds. You're done, so you know when the clock is going to end on this thing, and you just be better, better be prepared. And I do like the contract thing of somebody's got to get to that southern city in order for contracts to even be active, and that's kind of maybe a little bit of bluffing that you put in there too, because I was I was the closest one to doing it, and I ended up not finishing it off because you guys had so many more finished contracts than I did. Definitely go and get this one back on the table. I, I don't want it to be too far because I'll forget about it too too far in the future here. So hopefully we'll be able to get Imperial Steam from Capstone back on the table. Oh my gosh. Please tell me y'all have not waited this long to order your stuff from Miniature Market for Christmas. Have y'all have y'all procrastinated? Some of you listening right now procrastinate. You ra raise your hand. Raise your hand if you still haven't got your loved ones or your friends or yourself something special for this holiday season 
Well, you know what? Hopefully it's not too late. It's probably not too late to go ahead and head over to miniaturemarket.com and look at all the stuff they have on sale. They're going to be running special holiday sales, so keep an eye every day out for that. They have new products coming in every week. They've got stuff for your game needs, accessories, RPGs, miniatures, you name it. They have it. So get off your tail, stop procrastinating, and head over to miniaturemarket.com. Marty so what's next a game that I have been super excited for since it was teased earlier this year from Osprey Games and that's Brian Boru from designer Pierre Sylvester who also designed The King is Dead which was a remake last year that I absolutely loved is one of my favorite games I played in 2020 and I was excited to see a new game from him come out and it has a mechanic tony that you and i have loved for decades it's a card trick taking game yes it is and this is the high king of ireland brian boru was the high king of ireland from 1002 to 1014 mm-hmm. and what did he do well he united the kingdom and he kicked the vikings to the curb <laughs> He stopped their invasions, their silliness. He said, that's it. I'm done with you. And you are Brian Boru. No, you're not. You're not Brian Boru. You're playing cards. You're trying to get some area, a majority control in areas. You are doing simple mechanics that are so brilliant. So good. I was very excited about this game. I, I love when I see a rule book that is 12 pages and it's full of big graphics. And the game plays in an hour, so it's a shorter game, much like uh, The King is Dead. It's a map of Ireland. This has different cities on there with different colored icons around each of the regions. So if you somewhat picture that, Ireland broken up into regions, cities in the region, and the cities have colors. At the beginning of the round, everybody's dealt eight cards in a three-player game. In our three-player game, everybody was dealt eight cards. You draft two, take the others, pass to the left, draft two, keep going until everybody has eight cards in their hand. And then Tony, in typical trick fashion four, trick-taking fashion form. Wow, that is fantastic English right Mm -hmm. there, right? You got through it. You got through it. That's all that matters. The first player is going to take a little marker, place it anywhere on the board where there's an empty space, and it's going to be over a city. That city is going to be a certain color. That player is saying the first card I'm playing this round is going to be a card of this color. Or there is a wild card color, which is gray. Gray counts as whatever the trick color is or the city color is. And they're going to play a card, Tony. And it's got a value at the top. And at that point, you play the round just like you play spades or hearts. That's it. Whoever's got the highest in the trick suit is going to win. And when they win, they get to do the action at the top of the card. Everybody else gets to do the actions at the bottom of their cards. And those actions will determine what happens on the board. And it's important to know that one of the main actions or things that you get to do is to claim that city with your token. That's now under my dominance, under my control. The person who wins the trick Mm -hmm. gets the city 
that led off that round. Mm-hmm. If I was to place it over a, a certain city, Tony wins the trick. He gets to put one of his discs there as now that he, he owns that because he won that trick. Whereas I and the other person who I will now refer to randomly as Mark. Mark. I'll just come up with the name. Like uh, <laughs> there's two actions at the bottom of the card. You can pick one of those two actions to resolve. So even though you lost the trick, you still get to do something. And it's that other something, Tony, that really takes this game to another level because there are three different types of tracks on this board that you also needed to monitor and take advantage of. But before we go to those tracks, this to me is the the important strategy of this game. Yeah, okay, getting control of an area to be able to flip over that area so you can count the victory points at the end. That's important. Yes, I agree. But this is where your strategy is to know, okay, these are the cards to know that there are so many cards of a suit and know how to play those. You are counting cards. You are trying to force people. I may put my active token as the first player to dictate which color I want out there, knowing that that city may be very important to Marty, which will help me later possibly win some suits. All that's part of the standard card play. And, I, and that's what I loved about this game. It brought in some of the aspects of playing cards to this game for me. Now, I will say you can't short suit yourself, which is basically filling your hand full of red cards, unless you've got a different strategy you want, you want to go with you because you can. Because one thing you didn't mention is if you play, don't follow suit, Marty, you, you don't have to follow suit. Right. Even if you don't win, you do not have to follow suit. And if you don't, you're not going to win, but you still get those two actions. Mm-hmm. So that's important for people to think, oh man, Marty played blue. That means he's going to take my one blue card. No, you don't have to follow suit. You can play a red card at that time. It doesn't matter. That's more of that strategy of that card to try to force that. And I think that to me is what I loved about this game uh, are the, is the card strategy aspects. Now let's go back to the other various tracks. There's marriage, there's Vikings, and then there's piety. Was it piety? Is that what you call? I don't uh, know. The church. The church. The, the, it was called the church step. But yeah, so the icons at the bottom of the card may say, oh, let's just do church, for example. Put one of your discs in the church box. At the very end of the round, after all but the final card has been played, uh, you're, there's good different steps that you resolve at the end of the round. And one of those is the church step. And whoever has the most disc in the church areas places a uh, monastery uh, on one of their discs. What is a monastery? It's basically a little piece of cardboard that you can put over or around one of your existing discs on the board. And then it counts as you having two discs in that area. So that's really good for winning area control of a uh, certain region. However, if you didn't have the most in there, uh, if you have the second most, then you just get one victory point and just pull one of your discs out of that area, leaving the others there for next round, giving you the chance to probably take majority in that area the next round. And after that, if anybody has four or more discs left, you get to place a one of those monastery markers on any of your discs, then pull all your markers out of there. So the purpose of the church step is to be able to put out monastery markers 
in order to double the population, basically, of your towns in a certain region. Make them more important. You're basically making them more. I don't know if you mentioned it. I didn't hear it when you were talking, was that if you win in any of these tracks, the marriage, the Viking, or the uh, church track, if you win, you have to take all your discs out and you're done with that. That means you got to start over. Yep. So that's in, that's an important aspect of it. Well, I <laughs> I need to mark the time you say important aspect. It's funny. Uh, <laughs> is it important? It is it's important. Act, it's it an is. important. It's almost <laughs> neat. It's it's almost neat. <laughs> no, I, I thought that was cool because like I like I, I did mention on the church step is that if you're second, you are prime now to potentially take that area the next one because the person who won had to pull all their discs off the mm. board. And the marriage track, which is another track where you move up on a track, if you have the highest of that track, at the beginning of the round, there was a card uh, that uh, is a marriage card. It's the person that you are going to marry that's going to give you an immediate benefit, which may be victory points. It may be putting a disc out or in, into a zone. If you're the highest on that track and this resolves uh, that way, you take your disc and put the way back to zero but everybody else on that track has a little bonus beside where they are could be like a couple additional coins or something they stay there for the next round so once you come in first and you get the best reward you have to start all over again and the other people don't but Tony there's there's one more that you tell us about the battle with the Vikings which you mentioned that Brian Boru beat out of Ireland so you're going out there, they're pillaging, they're ransacking your villages. You've got to stop those invasions. So at the beginning of the round, a card's going to flip over and it's going to say this number of Vikings are going to come. Let's just say there's going to be 12 Viking discs in this area. When you're playing and the red cards are the ones that allow you to defeat the Vikings, there's going to be these little hatchets, axes, whatever you want to call it. And when you play that card, you get to remove Viking tokens from this pool. At the end of the round, whoever has the most Viking tokens, they have done their the best, then they will gain renown. They have done their, they have defeated the Vikings. And depending on the number of renown tokens, you will get victory points. So let's say in the previous round you had a renown, you start the game with one renown, you won another renown. The next round, you got now three, that's three victory points. So, so as you continue to build renown, you get more victory points. And you have to turn all those Viking tokens in. Also, if there's any Viking tokens left, in other words, we didn't defeat back all the invaders, you as the person who had the most renown, or the most Viking tokens, can now say these Vikings sacked this city of a person, of the person who did not do the best, who did not help out the countryside. And you will place that sacked on their token, and therefore they no longer it no longer counts. They no longer have control of that city at that point. The Vikings do, which hurts their ability to win the area control of that particular region. Right. So now I've got the most renown. I wipe out all my Viking tokens. The next person has the capability of um, 
The next person who had the most Vikings, uh, they just gained one point and returned one of the Vikings back again, like we explained in the other two tracks, setting them up to have the most Vikings the next round. That's what these secondary actions are at the bottom of the cards if you lose. It could be moving up the marriage track. It could be adding a disc to the uh, church. It could be uh, grabbing some Viking tokens. It could be just gaining some money. And Tony, also, it could be spending five coins to be able to put out one of your discs on the board, which is another way that you can take control. Even in loss, if you have the money, you can spend it to put one of your discs on the board somewhere. That is connected to one you already have on the board. Via road, yes, Via which is really stupid of me when I put my disc in one spot that had no roads going to it, so I was not able to expand out in that area in the future round. Which is also part of the strategy of putting your cities to block people in so that they can't expand using those cards or forcing that, putting that starting token and that trick and saying, okay, boom, I'm, you, you may change what cards you play because you're like, I could expand to the road or I need to defend that because I need to make sure I get majority in there. Just stuff, a lot of stuff going on here. Tony, that is an important aspect of the game that I'm glad that you uh, mentioned. That there's a lot of stuff going on? No, that was the fact to hold the blocking. Because yeah. there was it, blocking. Was it an important and aspect? Was it an important aspect? It was an important aspect. And it was freaking neat. It was. <laughs> because, uh, like you said, there were some times when you guys would put out stuff. And you did it on purpose. It's like, well, I can put out a disc here to block this person from expanding into a region I, which I control. Because it's like, uh-oh, you know, if they have the five coins, they can move into this other region because there's a road that connects them to. You can block that from starting a trick there, making sure to take that trick, and then they can't expand. So after you've resolved the marriage step, the battle step, and the church step, at the end of the round, you're going to do the claim regions. Every one of the regions has a certain requirement of the number of discs that need to be in that region before that tile is activated to be able to be claimed. Let's say, for example, a region requires four discs to be in there, and it has four discs. That tile's flipped over, making it active, and whoever has the most discs in that region claims that tile. If it's a tie, it just stays on the board. Here's the interesting thing. If there's a tie and somebody owns that tile, it does not transfer. So yes, that means to take it from somebody who has it, you have to have one more disc than that active player does right now. Obviously, the regions that are bigger will give you more victory points than the ones that are smaller too. And this what makes the Vikings that important. You can shift that balance by placing a Viking sack symbol, whatever it's called, on their token. They no longer have that control mm -hmm. or you get a monastery. So that's all part of the strategy as you're going. Remember, as, you're as a reminder, the monastery makes a discount as two, two as opposed to one. Yeah. Right. And if you put a Viking on that, I think you can, then bam, that just happened <laughs> to you. two Vikings. <laughs> it's like, oh, something like but, but there is a way. That's what Brian did. Brian drove the Vikings. And yep. his card, when you play it, the secondary action allows you to remove that Viking sack symbol, as Tony calls it. And that's a very important card to have. A very strong card, not a high number card, not an easy, it's a gray card, but still it's one of the more most important cards. It's it's the uh, Joker. Yeah, there you go. The set. There you go. So, oh, yeah. 
Good stuff. Good stuff. Yeah. And here's the thing. Oh, it's only three rounds, y'all. And the third round, by the way, the the people, unless it's a different amount of players. That's true. That's true. Again, for three players, it was three rounds. So it moved quick. And at the beginning of the game, you have a deck of cards of the people that you can marry. Those are random. But the very last round is always a particular princess. And you get to have a choice. If you win the marriage that round, you can just discard it to get four points. Or what you can do is make the Vikings count as your discs in order to take control. Or you can make it such that those count as a trade route, meaning any of those Viking markers that are on the board covering other people's discs now count as your color. Because, Tony, one of the last ways that you get victory points when you're calculating victory points is the number of regions you have your discs in. Mm -hmm. The more regions you have at least one of your color of disc you will collect victory points at the end, and the person with the most victory points wins the game. This was one of those games when I read the rules, I thought, I don't know. There's so much going on. You've got marriage and battle and church. It's like, I, I just don't know how I'm going to like it. After it was done, much like the king is dead, I'm like, I am so ready to go again. This was really good. They had me at card play. Plain mm -hmm. is, I, I, I love playing cards. And when I saw how these cards were going to be used, the manipulation of the trick, and then as I was playing, I was seeing how the strategy came in of playing certain suits, not short suiting yourself. I was like, okay, this is very good. I was really excited with myself on some on a strategy I actually did at the end of the game, which helped me because, uh, let's face it, I don't have a lot of brilliance when I play games. So when I have it, it's like, woo! Me, yay me and and, um, and, and in this that's game, an important aspect I think we should talk about I think I tell you what mark those as much as you say as you said I tell you you mark that <laughs> that's one fair. You, that's fair okay, okay. <laughs> as you said Marty an important aspect of the game <laughs> is neat it's neat <laughs> so <sighs> I needed I, Marty was going to win the Vikings it was it was clear. It yeah. was very on that last day. round. Yeah. On that last round, Marty was going to win the Vikings. There was nothing I could do to defeat him. I knew in order for me to get a certain region that I was going to need to be able to place a monastery token. But Marty could really mess me up because Vikings come before monastery if he were to place a sack token on one of my towns in that region. Marty's a smart guy. He's going to know where to go so that he could claim the victory points. So my last two card plays, I held on to my red cards, knowing first off that I wasn't going to win the tricks because of their numbers and also what other people were trying to do. And I was able to get four Viking tokens where Marty had five or six, but the rules say that you have to put it on the person with that did not contribute the most. Right. And that put me one over this made up player we use, Mark. <laughs> and, and he, and by doing that, Marty had to place it on his towns. Yep. It protected me. Yep. And that's one of those things. Yeah. Yay! Yeah, it's clever, y'all. It's one of those things, much like the King is Dead. I keep referring to that because I love the King of Dead because of the simplicity of the rules. But the way that you win the game and the little strategies you can find as you play is what makes it brilliant. And Tony just gave a perfect example of one. He protected himself from me attacking him 
by making sure that he didn't come last in the number of uh, Vikings on the board. And that way I, I couldn't take it from him. And we talked about the blocking and counting cards. And, and oh, and <laughs> it's so funny. Y'all mentioned this at some point in the game. I didn't even pick up on it. And I thought I had this brilliant moment when I said, hey, did y'all realize the red cards give you all the the Viking tokens and the yellow cards give you all the marriage abilities and the blue cards give you all the church. And it was like, yeah, we said that a little while ago. It's like, oh, never mind. I'm not as brilliant as I thought I was. So each of the colors are also the ones that are that kind of particular capability, which is Tony, I think what you said a long time ago, you can't afford to short short suit yourself because you may need all of a sudden marriage cards, which means you need blue. Or you may need to pivot. I'm sorry, yellow. You may need marriage cards and it's like, oh crap, I need yellow cards. And you may need blue cards to do the church. So I was dumb and grabbed all red cards in the end because I thought, I'm determined. I'm going to win Vikings. And I was like, ah, crud. If I had just gotten up a few spots on the marriage track or, or in the church track to be able to place a monastery token to double the value of my city, Mm -hmm. I might could have won another region. Right. And even in the last round, when it was the marrying to the princess, uh, I think it's the princess of the Danes. I think that's what that card's called. But there's no benefit because there's not that many Vikings on the board. Mm-hmm. So there was no reason for that to really be helpful in the marriage. So it really does adjust how your strategy plays out. And there are times in your strategy when you are going to want to be able, you have to win the trick so that you can choose the next color so that you can control the region. So you really have to think that ahead. Like as I play these cards, I eventually will need to gain blue and yellow towns. And if all I've got in my hand are red, that does me no good. I need to think through that and I need to say, okay, as I'm going to play this round, I see where my strengths are lying, which towns I need to gain. I need these in my hand and hopefully you will pass them to me and that you don't need them as well. Or do I try to play it? Cause the low number cards in the suit have a whole lot of abilities to them. If you win, you get like to do four things. You like to get first, you get the town, then you get some money and then you get to move up on the marriage track or whatever it was. And, and if they let you, if they don't follow the trick, you get that. And then all of a sudden that last card played, man, whoo, I was, I played a, let's play, I played a three and I get all these abilities and y'all don't have that color. Hmm. I just gained a whole lot of action. One thing we didn't mention, I think this is very important too, that we found during the game, cards are resolved from lowest to highest. Even though you may have won the trick, you may not be the first one to take the action. That was important too, because if you had a low card and maybe had one of those where you had five coins and could place one of your discs before the winner of the trick got to place theirs in the place where they started, it could kind of change how the round would go, which is resolving from lowest to highest was important. So sometimes you would play a card to try to resolve first and not resolve last because you wanted some sort of benefit to jump into in in there for you. And you have to be able to do it. If if you win the trick, you have to do the actions and you have to pay victory points like I had to do if you don't have enough gold because your card says you got to pay gold to take this action. All that's part of it. And people can say, oh, he doesn't have enough gold. We can hurt him with victory points. Simple game. Yeah. Strategy wise. Amazing. If you don't like cards, though, if you don't like that, that aspect of it, it's 
Uh, what I mean, I don't know. If you don't like trick-taking games, then you may not be a fan. If you like trick-taking games and a game that plays three to five players, 60 to 90 minutes, would five players take 90 minutes? No. I don't think so. I think if you knew how to play, I think it'd move quicker than that. I think it would be too, as long as everybody's not like, oh, what do I play next? What do I play next? Play your card. Oh, Damn. by the way, setup is almost non-existent. Here, everybody take your pieces you get three coins, one renown, let's deal out cards and start drafting. That's really it. I know we've said this, but it may not be obvious to the casual listener because <laughs> they've tuned us out. It's like cards. You play, that first person plays a card, then the next person. Because when I started, I said, no, we all play it one time. And you're like, no, that's stupid. I said, you're absolutely right. That's stupid. <laughs> you play a card, then I play a card, and then our made up player, Mark, plays a card. Yeah, that's an so, important aspect of the game. So that is Brian Boru yeah, from Pierre Sylvester. <laughs> <laughs> and like Osprey, you said, that's Brian Boru <laughs> um, from uh, Pierce Sylvester and uh, Osprey Games. And I love, I tagged uh, Pierce Sylvester's in Twitter when we shared it. And I love that he has in, in his tagline, I'm not the designer of Inish. Because to be honest with you, if you looked at the cover of this box mm-hmm. and the theme of the game, you would think it's the same person who did Inish because the artist is similar. But it's not. It is the same person who did The King is Dead, which we loved last year. Both Tony and I really recommend Brian Boru. I will not be getting rid of this. And I think playing like The King is Dead and Brian Boru back-to-back would make a great game night. For this commercial spot for Ravensburger, Marty, we're going to talk a little bit about Labyrinth. I know this game is very old. It was known as Amazing Labyrinth. But I'm going to ask you something. I know you didn't watch the Harry Potter movies, did you? I did. You did? Do you remember how the stairs would swing and shift as they were in the hallways and things like that? And the paths were always changing? Yes. So Labyrinth, you're dungeon exploring, trying to collect treasure. But the neat aspect of this game, not important. It was a neat aspect. you see what I did there? I, I did. Thank you. You are pushing tiles to change the path on people. You're trying to shift the stairs on them, trying to block their exit. And whatever, when you push a tile, the one that falls off is the next player's tile to try to move. It's a puzzle game. It's a collect the treasure games, trying to move your pieces around. That is Labyrinth. This game has been out forever. It is a great family game, which is what we know Ravensburger is known for. And let's not forget about one that's another holiday classic, Horrified American Monsters. That's right. Over Christmas, you should be playing Horrified, one of Marty's family's favorite games. But be sure to check it out. Head over to the Ravensburger website and see what Labyrinth is all about. So how's that exit strategy going, Marty, with your new video channel? Uh, We've done a few things. Exit strategy. Stop it. Uh, We did... (laughs) Uh, a reaction to all the Marvel shows that were announced. That was pretty interesting. We did an hour-long episode talking about all the VGA, the Video Game Award announcements and our predictions. And we also did, oh, a live reaction to the Spider-Man trailer. What do yeah, you think? thanks for the Spider-Man? invite. So, thanks for the invite there. I would have dropped everything to do that. Oh, I'm so sorry. Yeah, no, I, 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 should, I, sh- I should have hit you up. So what do you think? What do you think of the trailer? I started watching it and I'm like, Okay, I'm confused because haven't we? Aren't these the same people that we've seen previously? 
And then I finally figured, ah, oh, it's the Sinister Sticks. I'm with you now. I'm I'm with you. Okay. Who who would the uh it's gotta be Venom, right? It's gotta be Venom as the sixth. No? Well, in the comic book, it's Craven. Oh. Huh. So mm. it's so can you who is all the six? Do you know them right. off the top? Um, so let me think through. This is not worth five dollars, people, because is the center to six changed over time? Is it always the same six? That I don't know. I've, okay. I know. It, okay, it's so you have Doc Ock. Yep. Really, your name's Doctor Octavius. Um, that was then, funny. Uh, that was, and then you of course have Sandman, Electro, Vulture. I think Mysterio. And then the six was Craven. I think that's the six. I, know, uh, I looked it up as you wrong. said it. That's good. You got them all. So okay. they're only missing Craven then. They're only missing Craven, and we've never seen Craven in a in a Spider Man. So I guess everybody's reprising their roles, uh, the mm-hmm. the villains, meaning. And I'm surprised they didn't show the other two Spider Man. I'm yeah. really surprised they didn't show up. Uh, I guess they're willing to really keep that close to the vest. I'm excited. I'll I'll definitely be there. I think it's like January. No, it's December. It's either 17th or the 22nd. There's two movies coming out in December. I want to see that one in the Matrix Resurrected. And they're coming out uh, that week. And because I saw them today in the trailer for Ghostbusters, we went and saw Ghostbusters Afterlife today. If you are a fan of the original movie, go see this. It is a love letter to fans of that movie. And it was worth every bit of it. I really, as a huge fan of Ghostbusters, my dad took me and saw it in 1984, so it has a lot of nostalgia for me. Love seeing it, and like I said, it it erases the 2016 version. This is the a fantastic follow up to uh, that series, and if you're a fan, go see it. Okay, I'm not, so I don't need to. That's you, you didn't like Ghostbusters? Okay, there's your exit strategy right there. Thank you, and good night. <laughs> Jeez, I'm, I'm fine, and I was never a big fan of Dan Aykroyd. I, and I didn't like the Blues Brothers. I didn't. I mean, wow. I know. I know. I can't. Hey, you know, some some actors just you just don't jive with. And huh? uh, I mean, you were a big fan of. I wasn't a big fan of Chevy Chase. So, yeah. so, but I I loved Caddyshack. But you had you know Murray and Dangerfield and all that whole crew. Still one of my favorites. Um. So, but yes. So Spider Man. Very excited <laughs> to see that. We, we were right off Ghostbusters real quick and right back to yeah. Spider-Man. Yeah, so Spider-Man will be good. Oh, and if and what the channel we were talking about, we're talking, the exit strategy is uh, Mediavania. It's uh, where Twitter handle is at Mediavania Show. If you want to go follow us on YouTube, we are going to be live streaming the Video Game Awards on December 9th and our reaction to all the trailers and everything. And Tony, if you want to jump in, let us know. We got a spot. I can just send you an invite Wait, if you just want to hang out this? for a bit. De- Thursday, December 9th. So game night needs to be the night before that, December 8th. <laughs> <laughs> it seems how I hardly know any of the video games. That's going to be a useless thing for me. I could just be sitting there like, well, that's what I'm saying. If you just want to drop in, the bit, the, a lot of the fun is too, is just the game announcements. Okay. That happened during the show too. It's not just the award. In fact, it's mostly fluff. And most of the time we'll just be sitting here talking because there's Jeff Keeley be saying, Hey, y'all listen to this band, play a song. It's like, I don't want to hear this band, play a song sort of deal. So yeah. So that's, that's what's uh, going on there in the pop culture world. And, um, if you're a fan of cowboy bebop, the anime don't watch the uh, TV show. Cause I'm seven episodes in and it sucks. There you go. 
to me, to me, my personal opinion, I think they they captured just enough of the anime to go, hey guys, remember how good that anime was? And then the best parts of the anime they ripped out and they changed. I, I'm going to trust you on that, but then again, I never watched Cowboy Bebop anime, and that's all around your things. I mean, you know, we're we finally finished up. Uh, one of the f- heroes from Chicago Fire has left. Except <laughs> my wife. Um, <laughs> gotta love it yes on our discord channel we were talking about all the tv shows and i was rattling off all the network shows for everybody and i was you know helping my mom today we'll put up her her christmas lights and um, we were talking about it and my aunt was livid absolutely livid one of her favorite shows is seal team on cbs Mm -hmm. all right part one played on the network Part two will only be on Paramount Plus. Guess you better subscribe to Paramount Plus. She ain't going to do that stuff. And she's like, what is that about? And I'm like, well, they want you to go over there. That's where things are going. And she's like, I'm not doing that. There's no reason for me. They just lost this person. I'm like, I understand. You know, I've still got, and I, I knew this would happen when we had to upgrade our neighborhood internet and we had to subscribe to six years of cable TV in the neighborhood or we would all still be on um, modems um, around here. And I was just like, oh, this is going to suck. Because in about four years or three years, it may be in three years, everything's going to be streamed. Everything is going to be what you subscribe. It's going to be a la carte. It sucks. I, I, I don't like it because there's so many streaming services. Literally, I'm paying as much or more as I would with cable if I have all the streaming services I need. People are like... How come you don't have Apple Plus? You know why I don't have Apple Plus? Because I've already got Hulu, and I've already got Amazon, and I've already got Netflix. And I'm not going to sit there and get, okay, now i got to get Apple Plus. Now i got to get Paramount. Now i got to get HBO Max. It's like, I, ca- I can't do it all. I will no. pick and choose what I want. Because think about it. If Let me count them off again. Amazon, Netflix, Hulu, Paramount, HBO Max, and I'm missing one, Apple Plus. Let's say all those average to $10 a month. Oh, and Disney. Let's say all those average to $10 a month. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. You're at 70 bucks. I'm back to the price of cable at that point. That's right. <laughs> Plus your internet. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So no, I, I, I'm like, how can you not have that? Y'all, I can't. I'm not. I'm not going to. There's more than I can have time to watch. So I'm going to pick the things I'm most interested. The only thing mm-hmm. I'd watch on Apple Plus, even though there may be great shows, will be Ted Laszlo. And I find other ways I can watch that. So I've heard HBO Max is amazing because it's got all the DC stuff. Great. Uh, when an anime movie comes out, I'll just rent it and watch it that way. So I don't know. Mm. So with Apple Plus, there's a lot of, for some odd reason, Tom Hanks has committed yeah. his soul to Apple. So he's got all these, I love Tom Hanks movies. I haven't heard anything about these movies. So I don't know anything uh, about them. I just know they look very interesting to me. Uh, to be honest with you, I'm going down the rabbit hole of doing the the YouTube stuff. What's next on YouTube? What's next on YouTube? I spend a lot of time on YouTube too. Yeah. Girl with a dog, you know, and, and watch her groom dogs. I don't know why. I don't know why I watch that. I just like seeing the various styles of dogs. It gets the hits, get. man. It gets the it hits. It does. A million hits to watch her bathe a, a Burmese dog. Yep. I'm just like, whoo, a great Pyrenees. Watch her try to manage a great Pyrenees, one of the biggest cuddle bunny dogs out there. Oh, 
I know my sister's chihuahua. My sister's chihuahua bit me today. I hate chihuahuas. Sorry, if you got a chihuahua, I'm sorry. I there was my aunt, great aunt, had a chihuahua when I was a child, and that dog terrorized me as a little kid because it yips at you and chases you. I couldn't stand it, so I've never liked chihuahuas except for a uh, Ren from Ren and Stimpy. I'm just walking here, and that dog comes up. Can't bite yeah. me because I got jeans what? on. And I'm like, oh, what, what, what are you doing? You, anything? Why do you think this little punk dog, why would a little yippy, tiny little three pound dog buck up like that to people and, and think he's so tough? I don't get it. Uh, it is my Napoleon complex. <laughs> and I was just like, football's on. You want to be three points, dog? I can show you. <laughs> they punted. What was his name? Oh, my, an anchorman. I they punted. Oh, what was the dog's name, y'all? Oh, somebody tell me on Twitter. When you listen to this episode, somebody tag me and tell me the dog. It will come to me before then. But an anchor man, when he's in the phone booth and he's crying that they punted the name of the dog. Oh, gosh. That was one of the funniest things. Anchor man is just a movie I think is hilarious. But anyway. Now, one thing I haven't gotten through moving over to animals and everything is Root. The board game was released on the Switch. Yes, I haven't. I have not made it through the tutorial yet, Marty. It's one of those things I need to, but I'm fixing to go away on vacation, and, uh-huh. and unfortunately, due to limited luggage space, I am not taking the switch oh. with me. Oh, okay. How about this, dude? When you come back, let's get on our Twitch channel and we'll play a game of Root. How about that? Okay. We can let's do, do that. that. And then next episode, we'll talk about it after we've yeah. after we've played it. I'll try to get through the tutorial too. It's one of those things with Root, right? It's asymmetric, so everybody plays totally differently. So, you know, you have to figure out how everybody plays. But I, it'll I'm, be a great refresher for the board game for me. I, yes. It's been so long since I played the, Same the original. Here. Dire Wolf Digital, thank you for, they sent us two keys. Thank you so much. So this will be something that they provided to us that we will talk about. And uh, hopefully I can get a couple of games in, a few games in, and I'll do a video for our YouTube channel uh, like I've done with um, other Switch games. I'm getting ready to go on vacation. This will drop while I am on the sunny beach in Hawaii. And I will be eating turkey on the beach and we're doing all that down there. So I hope you have a wonderful Thanksgiving in Mississippi. Yes, we're going to Mississippi. A lot of uh, New Orleans. How's it Vanessa says it? New Orleans. Orleans. Uh, People come in and bringing a lot of Cajun food. So yeah, I will be gaining a lot of weight from all the stuff they be bringing. (laughs) All the stuff they be bringing. That's great uh, grammar there. Well, before we go too long, then it's an important aspect to keep rolling dice. Before you close that off, I want to remind people, sorry, sorry, Tony, uh, uh, bring that back in and get ready to say it again. I wanted to mention next episode is our big ninth anniversary episode. We are going to be doing a lot of giveaways. In fact, y'all, let me just count the number of things we're going to be giving away. We have one, two, three, four, five, six. We have at least seven publishers giving stuff away, a total of... 13 different giveaways just from these publishers. We have others going to be coming in. Tony, I'm going to do my big box of surprise again. If you want to do one for for your side where we're going to take a big box, cram a bunch of games into it and send it to a winner. That's always a fun thing to do. Yeah, so that's the, gonna, the box of crap. I will be happy to put the, the box of crap. of crap. We'll be doing two boxes of crap. It's not it's not crap, y'all. It's 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 some, it's some is, <laughs> but they're <laughs> 
but they're free. Get over it. <laughs> so anyway, that's going to be coming in our next episode, ninth anniversary. And so how are you going to be able to win? One of the ways for sure will be on our Discord channel. Please go to our website and look for the link for the Discord channel and join because just by being a member, you're going to get on there. We'll probably do the uh, BGG forms again. Again, easy. If you've been following us for many, many years on there, you'll also automatically be entered. So make sure to go over there and do that. Plus, we'll probably do a survey again, as always. But again, make sure to come back next episode. Tons of giveaways. A lot of fun. It's our ninth anniversary, y'all. Crazy. And we can't wait to uh, spend it with you. Okay. Now, if you have it locked and loaded and ready to go again. Yep, we got one more year. That's the exit strategy. One more year. <laughs> Going for ten, people. If we get ten, we'll we'll all, we'll get a new um we'll get a plaque to hang up in the office that says ten years of RDTN, ten years of of noise. I'm I'm excited. I'm still upset. I didn't get an RDTN hat. How'd you get an RDD ten RDTN hat? We'll make sure to get one for you from Sir Meeple. I make sure head out to Sir Meeple. He's uh, trying out testing hats. He said, "Can I send you a sample?" I wish he'd have sent two. I don't know why he didn't. No, send it's two. okay. No, I, well, look, I, I, didn't, I, I didn't know what it was. He just says, "I'm going to send you something." I went, "Okay, cool." I mean, I'm, I wish it had been two of something. That's okay. I'm fine with that. I mean, I understand we're both balding about the same rate. We just got to keep the sun <laughs> off our head while we sit on our lawnmowers. <laughs> I mean, you know, that's an important aspect is to keep the sun off our heads and yeah, keep us from getting all with, dealing with dealing with leaves yesterday. My lit, my trees are about half empty. Another half to go and I'll be ready to go. That's what you get for living in the country, but just keep rolling dice and taking names. Thanks for listening. Again, even though I just said it, make sure to follow us on Discord, follow us on Twitter at Dice and Names, join our BGG Guild 1589 Big Ninth Anniversary episode. Lots of giveaways. We'll see you then. You know what's another important aspect of the show, Marty? The stinger. Like you just said. That's neat. <laughs>